0: What do you get when you mix socialism with free things, add in 130 gender options, and base it all in one of the most woke-up cities in the country? Well, you get San Francisco's new Guaranteed Income for Trans People program, and it's even more ridiculous than it sounds. The show starts now. Folks, I don't get it. And by it, I mean this new cultural obsession with erasing biological identity and replacing it with this confusing, bizarre, woked-up, ambiguous BS. What is the goal here? To confuse, encourage, and entice people, especially young people, into believing whatever is in their pants is up for negotiation or interpretation? And then in some cases, take it a step further and reward this kind of obscurity with a handout. Yeah, take San Francisco's new effort, the Guaranteed Income for Trans People, or gift program. This social experiment combines the promise of free things with the now almost cult-like LGBTQ movement into a handout program for 55 eligible residents who will be guaranteed $1,200 per month for a year and a half to help address financial insecurity. Not only will these self-identified trans residents get a cash handout, they will also get gender-affirming medical and mental health care, all paid for with taxpayer funds. Mayor London Breed set aside $2 million in the budget for this social experiment and it's all part of a pilot program the city hopes to expand. Now, you think maybe recruiting and funding law enforcement would take priority, given this filthy city's ever-growing crime, drug, and human waste problem. But no, it's this. And get this. The application for this trans income program provides over 130 gender, sexuality, and pronoun options and encourages enrollees to check all that apply. Options for pronouns include, ready for this? Z-Zim-Zis, Fay-Fair-Fairs, and... Tay Te, tear, tears. What in the actual hell are those? And that's not all. In the gender identity category, applicants can choose aggressive, which is an identity label claimed by some African-American and Latin masculine of center lesbians. Or gender F, which is the idea of playing with gender cues to purposely confuse stereotypical gender expressions, usually through clothing. Is this real life? Is this the kind of garbage we're putting out there as accepted and normal? Because it's not! And now a major city is dipping into its budget to incentivize it? You know what, be who you want to be, wear what you want to wear, sleep with who you want to sleep with, given they are consenting and of age. But the fact that the rest of us have to and are expected to mollycoddle 130 gender identity options and then turn around and pretend it's normal and positively progressive is utter BS. It's regressive, it's child abuse, it's brainwashing, and it's gone too far. And the fact the left has co-signed all of this and attempts to mainstream it is not only disgusting, but it's concerning. This is not about encouraging individuality, it's all about blurring the lines of who we really are so much so that we forget it altogether. We as a collective are way easier to control that way when we don't know who or what the hell we actually are. Why do you think they're pushing this so hard on young people? So they grow up with it, they normalize it, they mainstream it, and silence and shame those who are brave enough to say, the emperor has no clothes. And this kind of thing isn't harmless, it has real consequences for real people. And up next, you're about to meet one of those people, someone who underwent gender reassignment and is now fighting like hell to not only detransition but warn those who think this whole mess is just an innocent game. Shapeshifter joins me next. Welcome back. Now, folks, I'll warn you, some of the things you're about to hear might shock, startle, or upset you, and it may not be appropriate for children. But 10 years ago, my next guest identified as transgender before falling into the assembly line of medical transition. Shape doesn't feel comfortable identifying with any pronouns at this time, but to avoid confusion, I will refer to Shape as she. But since undergoing gender reassignment, Shape has had a slew of mental, medical, and psychological struggles, including severe body dysmorphia and suicidal thoughts. This isn't a game. This is someone's life, and Shape is here now to bravely and boldly tell the story. Shape, thank you so much for being with me and for telling your story.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I started identifying as trans 10 years ago. Um, it all started in graduate school when um, we had like, non-binary people on campus. We went had a person who had the full transition, all the surgeries. At the time, um, I was just a feminine gay man and I was wearing gender-bending clothing. I was growing out my hair but right away people asked me what my pronouns were and I I was just like immediately confused and started like researching more. And right off the bat, I got convinced that I was a transgender woman um, because when I was a kid, I was gravitating towards feminine things. Um, I never fit in with other boys and um, my parents always tried to make me more masculine, but I'm just a very naturally feminine man. And right off the bat, um, yeah, I convinced that I was transgender woman and pretty easily I was able to get hormones through Fenway Health in Boston. However, when I started taking hormones, my mental health actually started declining even more. Um, But my therapist uh, saw that it was all because I was trapped in the wrong body. And that's what I saw too at the time as well. I attributed all my mental anguish to having like wrong body parts and all that. So I was pretty much rushed down the assembly line of medical transition. After I had um, the bottom, so-called bottom surgery, which was um, in fact penile inversion surgery, my mental health actually declined even more. I got so sad and depressed. Um, looking back, I realized now I was just a castrated man and I lost my testosterone. My anxiety went, um, through the roof like i couldn't even be alone in the room without getting panic attacks but i didn't know what it was um i tried to reach out to the transgender community but they kept on telling me oh it's because your goal was like to transition now you accomplished your goal put some other goals in front of you but my suicidality actually went up and uh, moreover my new part that surgeons gave me wasn't working properly. I lost uh, neovaginal depths no matter how much I dilated Um, and um, surgeons blamed it on me said that I wasn't dilating properly and I had multiple revisions since and after even multiple surgeries I still couldn't get enough depths to have um, penetrative sex the way I've imagined it. And upon the last revision, I ended up getting colorectal fistula. Until today, I'm unable to have sex um, with neo-vaginas that was given to me. Um, a few months ago, I was really sad and depressed uh, and I was very suicidal. And um, I ended up reaching out to a new therapist. I was not a gender therapist, was just a regular therapist. And I ended up discovering that I had complex PTSD and all kinds of childhood trauma all kinds of personality disorders. None of, all of this was overlooked um, when I went to gender clinic, I guess, um, trying to get letters for the surgery. Uh, There was no pushback or where my desires are coming from. Um, I realized that no matter how much I modified my body over the years, I never felt at home in my own body. I still don't. The new therapist made me realize that I have body dysmorphia, so, the way I see myself is not the way people see me. I still don't feel like confident in myself. And uh, that feeling never went away, if anything. um, All the surgeries destroyed my confidence even more. Um, I actually have uh, health issues. Um, I developed osteoporosis because of not having enough hormones in my body and scoliosis as well. So my back hurts every day. For years, I had no sex drive at all. I had no interest in any kind of intimacy really. Um, I, so after I went to the therapist, um, I started taking testosterone and it's almost like a version of me came back online and I realized that I was light to and I was a version of a man and not a version of a woman. Um, however, it's kind of traumatic to be back on testosterone without having functional genitals because testosterone works well with male genitals that I no longer have really, um, So it's traumatic, even though um, my anxiety has gone down ever since I've taken testosterone, my confidence is a bit higher. It's also just, um, I don't know if I'll be able to keep on taking testosterone because I'm getting a phantom limb sink going on. (laughs) Um, Sometimes I wake up thinking I still have a penis, but I don't, so it's very traumatic. Um, recently, I was in Florida testifying with other transitioners against medicalization of minors, um, and it was a very high tension situation. We were getting yelled at. I got called a Nazi. I got called accused. I got accused of genocide of uh, transgender children and transgender women uh, just for sharing my story. Wow. Uh, We were shamed and yelled at, um, called all kinds of names, and um, it definitely affected my mental health. I wonder where Jess Jennings was with her family because they live in Florida, and she inspired so many trans kids into transitioning. After everything I've been through, I can tell you is that medical system only cared about my uh, health insurance card because the surgeons have no incentive not uh, mess up the surgery because they get paid for all the... Pre-op consult, they get paid for attempt to do something, and they get paid for all the revisions. Um, through this process, all the surgeons that worked on me, all the doctors, they got paid really well. I I lost my functional genitals, and I didn't get what I expected. Um, they're actually lying to people uh, right now. Like we don't have technology to to change anybody's sex, like. After I sacrificed so much to be a woman, I realized I'm a man and the surgeries were unnecessary. I even regret my top surgery. Um, so I feel like I, I sacrificed everything to live stealth as a woman, but after seeing what was happening with the Leotoma situation, with medicalization of children, I just wanted to come forward and share my stories that not all transitions are happy transitions. Um, this is not an easy journey, this is not fun. Um, people should not be glamorizing this. I'm actually a mentally ill person that is still struggling. I don't have stable sense of identity. I should have never been cleared for the surgery. Um, but unfortunately, the common narrative right now is that all these mental comorbidities are separate from trans issues. and. Um, after i realized that i was not a trans woman that i was just a gender non-conforming man who could just push down the simple line of transition um i started looking more into research and i realized there's actually no research scientific research proving that having genital surgeries improve anybody's health and in, in the long run in fact there's a study done in sweden showing that suicidality goes up after um, genital surgery. There's also really no studies showing that um, if you transition kids that young, what you're really doing, you're risking their fertility and their health with puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones for a certain look, for a higher voice or for a deeper voice. How can kids like opt out of their uh, future sexuality if they've never even experienced it? Uh, the head of WPASS and WPASS is an organization that sets standards for transgender health care, Marcy Bowers. Um, she's also the person who did surgery on Jess Jennings. And as we all know, Jess Jennings had a lot of complications. She just put out recently a statement that kids, especially boys that are being transitioned that have been blocked with puberty blockers, they will never experience orgasm because their testosterone is blocked. So, how are these kids going to opt out of like male experience when they never experience it? You know, so that does- doesn't make sense to me that is really abusive you know and I feel like um I also internalize a lot of homophobia because growing up I grew up in very strict culture where men are very masculine and women are very feminine but because I didn't fit that stereotype of masculinity no matter how much I tried to act more masculine I was still standing out I was bullied a lot for my femininity and I think internalized homophobia um, really pushed me down the transition Sheep, line. I um, want to
0: I want to ask you about that because I think it's so important to discuss it right. because there's a lot of young people now that because of the way culture is and because of the way that things are being taught, th- things are being glamorized, as you mentioned. There's a lot of young people who maybe are just gay. And because they don't fit in a box, they think they need to fit in another box, which is to transition, not just to be like you said you were. I'm just a feminine gay man, which there's nothing wrong with that. But then they feel like, well, then I must be in the wrong body. What part of that did you feel that kind of pressure to move towards transition? And do you think you would have just been happier growing up, living your life as a feminine gay man?
1: Um, to be honest, one thing I've learned from all this is is the most important. <laughs> And I just feel like a medical transition is very risky and not really a healthy step for anyone. I think as a society, I'll touch base on homophobia, but before I forget this, I just want to feel like as a society, we need to move in a healthier directions when plastic surgeries are in general not glamorized for anybody. I think that's what's causing a lot of dysphoria in young kids, whether it's dysphoria around their secondary sex characteristics or just comparing themselves to people they see online, you know, that have been... <laughs> schismatically enhanced, you know? So I think that's causing a lot of views to think that they're not good enough and they're feeling uncomfortable with themselves. So, and if your narrative, if you're feeling uncomfortable with yourself at all, like you may be trans and that's why a lot of people fall into that trap. But for sure, um, there is a lot of homophobia in society still. So I felt like, especially toward gender nonconforming men, everybody in mid listings were just crips. But I personally just like makeup and fashion. And honestly, growing up, I just saw that it's only girls that could engaged with makeup and fashion. For boys, you had to wear suits and ties and to be masculine, but that didn't feel right for me. And no matter how much my parents tried to make me more of a boy, like it wasn't working. Plus, uh, they took me to therapists once I came out to them as gay. So I got brainwashed by my parents and societies that gay was something really bad and sinful and straight was uh, something pure, you know, and more natural. And that's why as a man, I realized I I was possibly a straight woman in a man's body. Latched onto it, and it pushed me down the transition path. But also, I was made to believe that this transition stuff was safe and it's been done for years, but it's not the case. Honestly, uh, after for years, when I was open about my complications online, but I was being lied to that I was just um, part of 1%, which is like a weird number. It's not really a real number of regret and surgery complications. But now, being in D-trans community, people have so many complications. People live with colostomy bags. They can't pee properly. Uh, they just have so many health issues. Some of them will never be able to orgasm again. So, all this for a lot of them was not worth it, you know, just to look aesthetically a certain way. Um, so, it's completely like um, not healthy. You know, honestly, being a feminine gay man is way healthier. And I feel like. Um, instead of trying to become woman, the super feminine man should really expand definition of a man and keep their uh, parts, not become slaves to big pharma because now I have to pay for hormones till the rest of my life, exogenous hormones. And who knows when I'll lose my health insurance. Like, we don't know what if there is a new war happens and there is supply chains are disrupted. Like, this is not a joke. I don't think when you're that young, you understand the (laughs) implications. of your choices on the rest of your timeline i think we should discourage uh, kids and young adults from making permanent decisions like that because they still have a whole lifetime ahead of them to discover who they are and making such a life-altering decisions i totally regretted i had my surgery at 24 and i was so brainwashed and i was so mentally ill that i let surgeons amputate a healthy part of me you know right so mm-hmm. and um people are being liked to, you know, um, I'm homosexual, transsexual, so, um, I didn't even know that because, you know, it's considered transphobic to even have that definition that there's straight men that are transitioning, and then there is gay men that are transitioning. I am a gay man, so <laughs> my transition was mostly trying to fit in in society, you know, it wasn't so much, um, trying to be a woman, I just felt like, Growing up, you know, uh, I was so naturally feminine, that's a point of reference when we were woman. more. I felt so far off from men <laughs> because I could never be as masculine as them, you know, so for me, it was just trying to fit in. For straight men transitioning, a lot of them have a fetish. It's called autogranofilata. Um I can't really <laughs> like explain it in details because I it's not my personal experience but I seem to have that distinction. If I knew that I was a homosexual, transsexual, I would have done more research before going through the surgeries. I would have known that it's society is pushing me into transition. It's like, it was more social dysphoria because I felt out of place. I was clothing that I wanted to wear as a man, you know? And if I, I, I wish I could take all of it back and just um, be an androgynous man or a gender non-conforming man. And we had those during seventies and eighties, but then gender ideology kind of destroyed all that. At this point, if you see a man who is a little bit gender non conforming, everybody just assumes that uh, he must be transitioning, you know, or he's non binary or something, I think it will just be healthier to cancel those pronouns and cancel the whole gender ideology and just be man and woman because very butch women are still women, you know, <laughs> if they want to flannel shirts and combat boots they're still women like i think we could, denying my biology i was so brainwashed i, I thought I, I was told that if i have the surgeries i'll do no different than any other woman but it's not the case you know going against by my, my biology it did so much damage to my body and i think we should teach kids that we can't change sex you know and they're just If they're feeling different, they're just special kind of men and women, they're not something else.
0: Well, it's easy to have a different gender identity and people figure out what they are, what they like, whatever. Let people grow up and figure that out, I think is the strongest message here. It's not about saying don't be yourself, don't dress the way you want to dress. It's about saying don't physically change your biology and your body because that has long-term side effects that you're going through in conclusion i know that something that's very important to you is talking about those in the trans community and in every community really that are struggling with suicidal thoughts know that that's something that you went through what is your message to others out there that have a similar story to yours that have those suicidal thoughts what do you say to them
1: um, I think that uh, what, from what I understood being uh, in the trans community, as I said, a lot of us have comorbidities. A lot of us have childhood trauma. I'm not saying that's for everyone. And uh, that can definitely cause suicidal thoughts. I think pushing the narrative that this will solve your suicidality is extremely dangerous and manipulative because that's what they're doing to parents right now and telling them if you don't transition your child, like they will commit suicide. But suicidal ideation doesn't equal suicide, you know, and I feel like a lot of people who have transitions are always saying, "Oh, I swear, transition saved my life." But it's all kind of anecdotal, unless you had like hospitalization due to suicide attempts that magically like went away after medical transition. I don't think people should be making such claims. It's very false. Um, it also does service because like I attributed my um, mental health issues to transitioning right not like to being transgender and once I transitioned none of those thoughts went away so now I have to work in therapy trying to solve my issues that actually never went away so people are losing resources their health and time thinking that they're trans and they're thinking that they're going to do all those procedures risky procedures and take all those risky experimental drugs and it will solve their mental issues but I know a lot of people for whom it didn't do anything any of this medical transition didn't help like in my case so this time and resources they could have used for therapies they could have used to dive deeper within themselves and try to understand who they are so it's honestly suicidal ideations could be caused by other things that a lot of us struggle with in trans and detrans communities. So I would suggest getting a good therapist, a good talk therapy. I think like medical intervention should be a very last step. I'm part of trans against groomers where um, adults have transitioned and they're trying to advocate for not medicalizing kids right. because I understand Sacrificing your health, as I said again, for certain aesthetic should be a 100% adult decision. If people want to take risks with experimental surgeries and drugs as adults, I don't think we can stop them, but kids should be left to be kids, you know? And I don't want to put out a message that detransition is fully possible. In my case, transition is not possible because I don't want parents to use my story to be like, okay, we're going to transition children. And if they don't like their transition, they can just detransition as adults, you know? Right. That's not possible. <laughs> you can't. I can't get a fully functional phallus back, you know, phalloplasty. I just talked to a detrans man who got thalloplasty after vaginoplasty. It doesn't work the same. It's just the skin. It's just right. uh, imitation of genitals of opposite sex it it doesn't work like a real thing and i think that's where people and public is being lied to they think that it's 2020 and you can just go get a surgery and be opposite sex you can't
0: right i'm so glad that you brought this up to so many people it's so important to hear especially when The model now is only gender-affirming care, and true mental health care is not part of the conversation. But, shape your story is so inspirational to so many. We thank you for being brave and bold enough to share it Mm -hmm. in so much detail, with so much transparency and authenticity. We really appreciate you. You're a patriot. And please stay in touch with us and let us know what we can do to further share your story.
1: Thank you, Tommy. You're so brave. I look up to you. Thank Ah, you so much. And I just want to quickly say, I used to, when I used to be trans, like I watched the debate with Jazz Jennings. And at that point I was team Jazz, but now I'm team Tommy. And what stood out to me is that even during that debate, you were like, okay, I get it. Maybe you feel like a woman. Why do you need to get surgery? So, and I wish like in that moment, you know, she heard you, but she didn't, you know, and I feel so bad that she went through all the surgeries and,
0: you yeah, I'm, I'm glad one. that you brought that up because a, a lot of people, that was so long ago, a lot of people aren't familiar. I was one of the first interviews that Jazz Jennings did. That was back at my time at another an, uh, network, and we sat down and I had a conversation at that point, and uh, it was a, a difficult one to have. I was really seeking to understand, so it was a very cordial, very civil dialogue, but yes, I, I had a lot of the same questions that I have for you and for others, and uh, I wish I could sit back down with Jazz at some point and have that conversation again. I doubt that'll ever happen, but I really appreciate your time and for speaking mm-hmm. the truth, and it's so important. So God bless you, and we wish you all mm-hmm. the best. Please come back anytime. Thank you so
1: much. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you.
0: And everyone, this is a very serious conversation around a very serious issue. Data indicates that 82% of transgender individuals have considered killing themselves and 40% have attempted suicide. So I think it's now appropriate for us to put up the number of the National Suicide Hotline. And remember, you do not have to struggle in silence or alone. But up next, more of Tommy Laren is fearless, including my final thoughts. Stick around. My next guest is a Grammy Award-winning songwriter, but his new song is a bit more personal. He wrote it in about 30 minutes with a group of buddies, but its impact is growing so much so that when he performs it live, it brings grown men to tears. Joining me now is the man behind the now viral song, Checking In, Michael Farron. Thank you for being with me.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: And you're going to play that song for us in a little bit. But first, I want to just talk about not only the song, but about you. So, I read your pre-interview as well. I know that songwriters in Nashville have long been kind of forgotten a little bit, (laughs) kind of pushed to the background, but not anymore. Now it's a new era of the songwriters really taking center stage. And I think that's an exciting time for Nashville. Finally, the brains behind the operation (laughs) is getting the spotlight that you all deserve. Is that what we're experiencing now?
2: I sure hope so. I I think you uh, are very accurate along the way, um, based on whatever reasons, trends a lot. Uh, people forget that there are some people in this in lots of cities, but in this town, especially that sling a lot of songs. And, you know, I, it's crazy. You know, we we write a lot of songs that never get heard. And it is a bit of a out of the spotlight kind of situation. So I think there is a trend right now of, of um, songwriters kind of stepping into the.
0: And a lot center. of songwriters then start performing the songs that they write instead mm-hmm. of giving them to other artists. Yeah. But I, I wonder what makes you more money? Giving a song to a, an artist like Ariba or singing it yourself?
2: Uh, definitely handing one off to Ariba will make yep. you more money, unless you have something that, you know, all of a sudden, uh, I mean, there's, okay, we'll clarify this. There's a lot of artists out there who actually are great songwriters. Right. They were able to carry their own songs, but most of your songwriters are not going to go carry the song. So definitely going to make more money you know, when people cut the songs. I spent a lot of, a lot of years on the road. I, tra- I toured for, you know, almost 20 years and came off the road 10 years ago and it just i've always loved to write songs but only in the last year or so two years or so uh have i decided you know i think i'll start singing some of these and so it's been nice for me to kind of get back in that mode of carrying songs
0: so what was the reba song that you wrote
2: so uh, a good friend of mine named tony wood and i wrote a song called sing it now that which became the title track of her grammy winning record oh, uh, wow. a few years ago so uh that was a that's a good moment
0: (laughs) so i have to ask you because you've been in this town you know everybody you've written a lot of songs you've mixed and you've mingled in the nash vegas scene you have to tell me who is your favorite artist to work with and i'm going to ask you your least favorite though i know you're not going to tell me but let's start with your favorite
2: (laughs) favorite artist to work with that is that's honestly a question i can't hardly answer i i am blessed like i get to write with heroes i really really do and Uh, through the years, there's been, you know, a handful of artists that you kind of lean into that go, all right, this works. Uh, like we just get what each other does, but I'm a guy who also, I, I bet on the, uh, the unknowns a lot. I'm more prone to like find that, you know, the girl and the singer songwriter around somewhere in this town and go, I need to write with her. And so right now my favorite person, I think to have written real consistently with in the last year or so is Emily Ann Roberts. Okay. And Emily Ann was on The Voice, and she's kind of a grand old Opry, you know, uh, staple now. She's only 24, though. Born and raised in East Tennessee, country is cornbread, and and just holds to her roots, and I love that kind of thing. So she's probably been my favorite in the last run of things to write with.
0: You have to be very honest with me on this. Nashville is changing quite a bit, though. Uh Um, And it has been like this for many years. I think probably at least when I started recognizing it is when Taylor Swift went from being country to just admitting that she was pop. And I love Taylor Swift, but there's a lot of pop elements that have come into country and you have this old guard of country music that says, keep it country. And then you've got these younger artists coming in from LA with their skinny jeans and mm-hmm. their you know pointy boots and, and all this, this attire. And they're changing country music. Do you feel like this is a positive thing? Are we headed in more of the pop direction? Or is country making a comeback with with certain artists that are keeping it really true? Like your Riley Greens, your Morgan Wallens, they're staying true to country. Where do we see the future?
2: I think think there is a trend back to traditional country now. Pop's never gonna go away. It is what it is. And if you're worth your salt at all as a writer, you'll show up and do a good job in the room no matter who you're with and serve that well. My personal, I gravitate towards very traditional or roots or Americana singer-songwriter stuff. I think the trend, like Emily Ann, she's 24. She refuses to go pop. Is it wrong to go pop? Mm, I'm not going to say it's wrong. I, I'm grateful that there is there is this uh, platform of people sticking to the traditional thing and making because it's the story. It's like right. we don't want to forget and stray too far of what made it what it is already. And um, there are, like you mentioned, some great ones that are that are kind of holding that flag of we're going to stay traditional. And that's probably, as a writer, Personally, that's where I'm at my best, but I'll try to serve whatever walks through. I mean, because my roots were in CCM and worship and a lot of other stuff, but I'm a redneck from Texas who's always listened to country music. And only in the last few years, I've kind of felt the freedom to go, okay, let's chase that. But I, I tend to gravitate towards what I hope is a growing trend of traditional
0: I think it is. It's yeah. making a comeback, just like the mullet is making a comeback. So <laughs> I, I think it is here to say you're going to have people that are going to be pop, and our you know our award yeah. shows, they're yeah. trending more towards what mm-hmm. the Grammys and the Billboard Awards would be. They don't really look like the Country Music Awards anymore. Mm-hmm. But that's a, that's a whole nother discussion for yeah. another day. I want to yeah. talk about the song that you wrote. You said that you wrote this song in about 30 minutes, and it's personal for you. Tell me about checking in.
3: So...
2: I mean I I'm one of the blessed dudes that my dad is my closest friend. Like he's he's I I got one of the good ones, right? I was raised this Baptist preacher's kid in Texas and he's always been this gracious, kind man. But in the last few years, he's he's getting older and it's been it's tough to watch some health stuff take place and by virtue of what I do, I kinda of leave my phone off. I'm writing, right? And so it's like I can't take it. So I'm used to call a lot and sitting with my buddy Ken and our buddy uh Garrett, we just kind of came out of nowhere of like, you know, let's just write something that challenges people to maybe not be so quick on the mute, on the silent and answer. It. And so it was really funny though. This is the, I hadn't even told this part of the story yet. So I, I posted it, it took off and I had to call my dad like two days in and go, dad, I'm not trying to kill you here. I promise. <laughs> well now he's milking it for all it's worth. Oh, yeah. I'll get a text every couple of days with him going, Hey, checking in dang it. And then my Uh, grandmother, my grandmother got in on it last week and said, hey, it's your old grand. I'm just checking in. I was like, dang it. One of my aunts has showed it to my
3: grandmother. That's
0: great though. You know, I'm from the Midwest. That's something that we do. We do check in and it's a very Southern thing as well. It's a very Midwest thing. It's just a very down home thing to do. But right now I think the message of this even goes beyond that. It goes beyond anything that you're even talking about with your own family. It goes back into people just connecting with one another again. Because It's hard to do that now. Everybody's interested in, you know, their Discover page on Instagram or the videos that they watch on TikTok. And coming up on Thanksgiving, people are not really having those genuine connections, caring about each other the way that we'd hoped. So it's an important message that I think needs to be heard, especially now.
2: The comments have been crazy. Like, it's everything from wow, I still have my dad's voicemails, too. I never got one voicemail from him. Too. I mean, it's everything. Just watching people respond to it, it's stirring something. And for me, it's, you know, I put my own self under conviction. It's like, stop meeting your dad's call, which is what we mm-hmm. in intended for. it. But it's, it's, there's been some days where it's been real tough to read the comments. I mean, there's some real joyful, I had the best dad in the world, and there's some real tragic stuff, but it's making people connect and talk about it, so... I don't know where it all ends up going, but it's sure been fun to watch kind of what it stirred up, you know.
0: I think it's interesting, too, when you release a song on social media. Uh, what is it? I think probably Justin Bieber was one of the first to really do that. Like, start out releasing it on social media and then it growing bigger and it getting a life of its own. Is that going to be the path, maybe, for this song? Are we going to hear this song on a radio? We maybe we going to give it to, to somebody? And if you were to give it to somebody, who would you give it to? What star would you hand this song to that you say, you know what? This is my personal story, but I feel like you could deliver it.
2: I'm a big Blake Shelton fan. <laughs> who is isn't, right? <laughs> big Tim McGraw fan. You know, if I could just pick and choose, like, there's there's some names I'd love to, but here's the thing with songs. They have to have the right authority to be able to carry that song, and so right. this song in, in particular limits who you can, you know, they have to have some ownership in that message, you know what I mean? Right. It's like, so, No, no, I can't think of a 19-year-old star that, I think could carry the song right now, but I could, I could think of some guys who've lived some life going, I've been through some stuff and I've been through some loss and that matters to me. So I I'm reaching for the stars on this one. It is going to come out soon. I will release my own version of it. So, uh, You kind of have to move when things are moving, I guess. Exactly.
0: Strike when the iron is hot, and then maybe good old Blake will hear it, and maybe he'll pick (laughs) it up. Because if I were to think of somebody, that would be the natural person that I would say. But we're actually going to hear the song. We've been talking about it so much. So we're going to go, we're going to come back, and we're going to get a performance of Checking In. So don't miss it.
3: (laughs) Hey there, son dad again I know you're busy I'm just checking in you can call me later if you get a chance I don't want nothing I was just wondering how you've been there's no telling how many times I've let that message play He's been gone a while and it still feels like yesterday I even call him back sometimes Wishing he'd pick up again I got a lot more to say these days than I did back then Hey Dad, it's me checking in Yeah, I'm doing alright Work's been a little hard But don't worry, I told mom I'd get by there later on And cut the yard, the kids are good You should be proud Yeah, I probably should let you go I'm just missing you right now There's no telling how many times I've let that message play He's been gone a while It still feels like yesterday I even call him back sometimes Wishing he'd pick up again I got a lot more to say these days Than I did back then Hey dad, it's me checking in I'm just checking in No telling how many times I've let that message play He's been gone a while and it still feels like yesterday I even call him back sometimes, wishing he'd pick up again I got a lot more to say these days than I did back then I got a lot more to say these days than I did back then Dad, it's me checking in. I'm just checking in. Hey there, son. It's Dad again. I know you're busy. I'm just checking in.
0: And just like that, Donald J. Trump is back on Twitter, should he choose to be. So find your safe spaces, green hairs, free speech is coming, and it's time for Final Thoughts. All it took was one simple Twitter poll, and just like that, Donald J. Trump's famous, infamous, iconic, legendary and ultra-triggering Twitter account is back online. We are still anxiously awaiting his first tweet, should he choose to tweet at all. He already has more followers in two days than he had pre-ban, and again, he hasn't even tweeted yet. But just the thought of him, our former president, being allowed to have a profile on what is supposed to be an open form social media platform, well that was enough to send the liberal green hairs into a spiral. And I think my favorite was from one Jonathan Greenblatt of the Anti-Defamation League, who was so triggered by the thought of words on a screen, he is now accusing Elon Musk of not being serious about purging hate, harassment, and misinformation off the platform. And he went on to claim that the mere thought of Trump being allowed to type words into a box on a screen is a dangerous threat to American democracy. For the love of God, would someone please get these triggered, overly dramatic, liberal losers a tissue and a constitution? What are they so afraid of? Is free speech really that troubling of a concept? enough with this BS January 6th nonsense. It was a bad day, but again, it was one freaking day. And as evidenced by Trump's actual tweets, he actually used his platform to de-escalate and ask for peace. It's not the threat to democracy the left is scared of. If so, they'd call for the shutdown of every Antifa and BLM account still very active on Twitter. And furthermore, if Trump is really so abhorrently awful, then you should want him to tweet so people could see it for themselves. But you know who is secretly praying Trump does return to tweeting? CNN, MSNBC, and every other liberal talking head out there who relied on Trump for five years of headlines and ratings. Y'all are probably refreshing your Twitter pages every 10 seconds, hoping and praying and waiting for your plug. What should concern us most, all of us who make up this republic, not a democracy, is how terrified big tech, big media, and big government is not only of Donald Trump, but of free speech at large. What scares them most is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and if it were to get out, perhaps people would change the way they vote. It's not democracy or factual information, basic decency, or the integrity of anything these people are safeguarding. It's the narrative they've spun and the narrative they want to remain unchallenged. Well, too bad. There's a new sheriff in town and he doesn't answer to the green hairs. Don't like Twitter? Head over to communist data-tracking, brain-melting Chinese TikTok and knock yourselves out. Those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.